giants. See, in this, in this group, probably, probably CJ and Roger are about, about as giant. They're giant, right? Uh, Josh Klum, Jamie Romano, Romanowitz, right? Pretty big boys, right? But I had a friend, uh, Joe Allen, who was six foot six, weighed over 300 pounds. He had massive, giant hands. And he was, a, I met him when I worked at the Civic Center years ago. He's an All-American at Bradley University. Would have played, played pro ball and had a long NBA career, but he had a knee injury that stopped it all. So he ended up working there. And one thing he used to do that used to just gall me is he would stick out his hand to shake your hand and I would have to tell him, hey, knock it off. Because you could hear your bones cracking in your hand, right? And I would go, you know you're doing that on purpose. What? You know, like I can't control my awesome power. And uh, so one time he admitted to me, like a year later, that, well, my goal is I stop whenever I see tears well up in their eyes. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what's with it? It's just my thing, right? And I thought, you know, Brian and I have this thing about, you know, how important it is. It's a sign of character when you meet somebody to shake their hand firmly, right? And when you don't get that, it's just, right? And so Joe thought that too. Well, you can take, you know, good things too far, which he always did. And I always thought he was a giant because he was massive. I have a picture of him holding Kyle. My son Kyle is sitting right there in one hand like this, you know, and have room to spare, right? But let me tell you something. He was a runt compared to Andre the Giant, the wrestler, who came in. It was my job when I worked at the Civic Center during that particular event to show these guys where to go help them with rides, help them whatever, whatever, whatever they need, right? So I was the go-between between the house and the wrestlers. Now, this poor guy is here I am. I know what's coming, right? I see him come in, and he is massive. I have never seen a human being before or after that looked like him. Just giant. His back was just massive. His hands. And so when you shake his hand, you're like, you're lucky to get a finger because his hand could just dwarf and just crush your skull. Just, I've never seen legs like this. Just massive, huge legs like tree trunks with no, not a scrap of fat on the guy. They said he was seven foot four, 444 pounds. Not seven foot four. He was about seven foot. We measured a door that we knew he'd have to go under because I wanted to know, right? So he's about seven foot. Could he have weighed over, well over 400 pounds? He very well could have. But he was a giant, right? You don't see people like that. However, in your Bibles, and today we are going to use the black ones. So those, that's the NIV Bible. I encourage you to grab one of those because we're going to do a lot of Bible flipping. I'm not like these youngins who can put stuff up on there, you know, I just, that's not my thing. Uh, what is my thing is if I'm looking through my Bible and it's good practice for us to be familiar with our Bibles. So today turn to Genesis chapter three, we're going to look at verses 14 to 15. And it used to, the last time I was up here, I could see my Bible from this distance. Those days are long gone, people. Uh, it's terrible to get old, but 
blessed to be here. So Shane has covered this, and this is kind of what piqued my interest. He covered this in a couple weeks ago in his sermon. I can't see, I'm blind. These lights are nothing and they, they don't really bother you, but like if, you're, if you ever get on a stage like at the Civic Center and they put on a event or something, they put their lights on, I might be able to make out Amy. The rest of you, that's why they don't have stage fright. They don't see anybody. Uh, so here we go. Genesis 3, and uh, it's entitled The Fall of Man, so that's where we are. And so the Lord said to the servant, because you have done this, led Adam and Eve astray, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Here's where it gets interesting to me. And I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman who is to come between your offspring, in my Bible, it's got a little note there, it says, or seed, and hers. So now, Satan knows that this enmity or this hostility that is going to eventually ruin him, right, for eternity, is going to come from a woman. It's going to be born from a woman. He knows this. He will crush your head this offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that's exactly, of course, what happens at the cross, right? Jesus' heel is struck, but at the same time, the enemy's head was crushed. He is done. So our enemy is finished. He knows his fate, right? For eternity. The line that always gets me is between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Offspring's the same. Seed. Why is it put that way? I don't get it. Well, if you read your Bible carefully, things start to come clear. Now, what I'm about to preach to you is not widely accepted by theologians. However, it's becoming more and more accepted. If you go to Noah's Ark, and I suggest, highly suggest that every one of you go and see that in Kentucky, because it's awesome, I'm thinking, are they going to touch this? They do, right? And so I feel even more confident preaching it because they preach it there. They don't make a big deal out of it, but they don't gloss over it either. So here we go. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 6, which is one page. And we will read verses 1 through 8. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born of them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them that they choose. Now... Sons of God in the Old Testament, get this, always means angels. Let that sink in a minute. Sons of God, angels. And they married of them, any of them that they chose. Hmm. Married. Don't circle it in your Bible because that Bible's not yours if it's one of the... <laughs> right? Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Now, glance over to chapter 5. And what do you see? How old did Adam make it? 930 years. Seth, his son, lived 105 years before he became a daddy. And he lived 807 years. So what has happened between then and now that says God says, You know what? We're done with that, 120 years, that's it. 
Must be something pretty significant. Well, it's what we just talked about. Continue. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward. How did they get there? When the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. The term Nephilim is only found a couple times in the Old Testament. One is here. Okay? You know what that term is translated to? Giants. In the King James Version, which is derived from the Texas Receptus, which is the oldest to me and most reliable manuscript there is, it's translated giants. Interesting. How did the giants get here? We just heard. The sons of God married the daughters of men. Well, here we go. Keep going on. Verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, try that, will you? Don't. But you get my drift. You cannot think only evil all the time, can you? I'm only going to have evil thoughts today. Doesn't work for us, right? Doesn't work for us, especially the Christian. We can't do it. We're not talking about, we're talking about unbelievers. Even them have a modicum of a sense of right and wrong. There are lines they will not cross. When I was an unbeliever, I knew it. It's not right to murder people. I don't need a law to tell me that, right? It's because God puts it there. He gives us an uh, innate sense of right and wrong. We have that. Only evil all the time. There is only one way that you can experience that, and that is if you are possessed by a demon. That is true. Now, I could go on a tangent right here, and I'm just not going to. But if you want a demon, you can get one, and they will reside in you, right? I've, we've had confrontation with people who I call it not possessed but infested by demons. I don't think I've ever seen anybody, although one I question, uh, who was totally possessed by demons, right? But I have seen oppression to the point that it looks like possession. Why? Because it comes and goes. The demon will make manifest itself to you when the Lord is pushing it to do so, right? So what can you do, right? So you can help cast the thing out, right? Uh, but you could have demons, they can lay dormant in you forever, right? And just at the right time, you know, they come out. That's just the way it is. How do you get them? You got to want them. And you got to ask for them. As we go along here, you're going to find out that's exactly what happened. Only evil all the time. So God brings in Noah to wipe everything from the face of the earth and start over. Why? Let that phrase sink in. Only evil all the time. How did they get that way? I just told you. Right? Is there more evidence? You bet there is. There's lots of us. Go to Genesis uh, chapter 19. Notice I'm being kind. And I'm just, just flip ahead. <laughs> Genesis 19. We'll do some skipping around here pretty soon, but here we go. We need to find out something about angels. Right? Because angels are called sons of God that came into the daughters of men. So is what I'm talking about even possible, right? Well, what do we know about angels? Let's stay in the Old Testament because we're going to find out some characteristics of angels. This is a story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And 
and Abraham and the rescue of Lot. The two angels, angels, arrived in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Whenever people encounter angels, they do that. Have you noticed that? They bow down. My lords, little L, not big L, which is a, a, a term of respect in the Old Testament. My lords, he said, please turn aside to, uh, to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We'll spend the night in the square. Why? Because they are sent to see just what degree of evil there was. And it was pretty horrible, as you're going to find out. But he... Lot insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Can angels eat? Yeah, says so right here. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Did you get that? All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Yes, that is in your Bible. Hmm. So I guess that's okay, right? We're making it okay in our culture must be okay, right? We know it's not, because it says right here it's not. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And this is where it, get, to me, gets whacked. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them what you like. What? <laughs> what? But don't do anything to these men, because they have come under the protection of my roof. Only evil. Get out of my way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien. Now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. In other words, when we're finished with them, we're going to get you. It's even going to be worse. And you're not going to like it. Right? They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside, the angels, reached and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they couldn't find the door. Can angels perform the miraculous? Yes, they can. At the direction of God. Angels can't go off on their own. Mm, they kind of did, it says, that we just read before, right? The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Angels have tremendous power, don't they? At the direction of the Lord. They are powerful. They can appear as humans. They can eat. Why can't they do other things? Well... Because of the verse in Luke 20 that says that when we go to glory, we are neither going to be married or given in marriage because we are like the angels. Okay? For one, angels are men. The Bible says men don't marry men. I'm talking about marriage. Now, if they can do all these other things, 
then why can't they do, why can't they produce? You know what I'm saying? Is there a way that they can, we don't know everything and the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but we do have evidence of things that's happened. We continue. Uh, this one, you almost have to have a King James version to get this, but I am going to interpret here. This goes back to Daniel, all right? And there's one verse in Daniel. Now, there's another term in the Old Testament. It's the term watcher, that is a certain um, uh, function of powerful angels, right? And I'm gonna have to go, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to go outside the Bible to explain it, to, to explain it deeper, but we'll bring it back at the end. And here it is, Daniel, this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of tree. So they're in exile. Daniel is a servant of Nebuchadnezzar. He is a dream interpreter. This is the dream. And this is in Daniel 4, verses 13 through 17. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger. In the NIV, it's interpreted messenger. In the Old Testament, in the King James Version, it's the word watcher. Okay? And it's in a few spots in the Old Testament, the term watcher, and it's only here. He was a messenger, watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Now, what's a watcher? If you go through the Old Testament, you know what? You can't figure it out. I try to figure it out. I can't figure it out. However, there are clues in the Bible that lead us down uh, the path to what this could be. In the book of Jude that we're going to get to in a little while, he talks about Enoch, the writings of Enoch. So this is a book outside the Bible. Now, there are books out there that are outside of canon. Some of them found their way into the Catholic Bible, right? They, do, they are not into ours. Why? Because they're not canon. Why? Because they contain obvious errors. Uh, what uh, timelines aren't correct, right? It can be proven not, okay? So you've got things like that going on. So if it's not what they considered of God, which means perfect, right? Then it cannot be canon. So the early church fathers who put together our modern Bible took that into account. Enoch didn't make it. Does that mean that there can't be some truth in it? No. If I wrote a book now and named everyone in it, but I said, uh, and this was a precursor to our being taken over by Mongolia, then ain't gonna make canon, right? <laughs> ain't gonna make, but it's got all your names in it, and you're all here. There's some truth in it, right? Same with these books, right? There's some truth in it, but we can't have it because it's not, we don't feel it's God-breathed, we think it's from man. In these days, there were false teachers galore, just like we have them today. You can go into the Christian section of your, of your bookstore, and you, I can just pick them out. False, false, false. There's tons of them. So it's just like that there, right? Hey, you're giving the word of the Lord. Hey, I can draw attention to myself and make a quick buck. I'm going to write some stuff, too. That went on then. People are people, whether it was then or now, okay? The book of Enoch, which is mentioned in Jude that we're going to get to in a little while, explains that these watchers were angels given by God to oversee territories and people. It explains that these watchers left their positions and lusted after human women and married them. 
they were not supposed to be married or given in marriage, were they? But that's what they did, and they left their position. And what happened? Out of them comes this term, Nephilim, or giants. Giants, I know, you know, because it's one of those things. First time I read the Bible, you start at page one, right? Because any book, you start at page one. So you go to Genesis, and you get to, like, chapter six, and you're like, <laughs> no way. No way. This is stupid, right? But I kept reading, and I kept seeing things. It's like, man, maybe it wasn't so, so stupid after all. And kudos to the early interpreters for not taking their eraser and saying, if people find that out, they're never going to read this. Let's well, just, they could have done that, but they didn't. Why? Because it's meant for us. All scripture is what? God breathed. Right? So, so I'm going to tackle it today. There's got to be answers to some of these mysteries in the Bible, and there are, but we have to be a little more uh, open-minded. Uh, now, flip ahead. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 13. Verses 17. Well, let's get some, let's get some context here. Verse 1. The spies are sent out by Moses after wandering. And in verse 1, it says this, Numbers 13, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out to the desert of Paran. All of them, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. I'm not going to go through the names, but they're all leaders of the Israelite clans. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo and Hamath. They went up towards the Negev, came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Descendants of Anak, you're going to hear that phrase in the Old Testament over and over and over. Descendants of Anak, you're going to find out who they were in just a bit. But they lived there, okay? Hebron had built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. What has Pastor Shane told you about the number 40? There's about to be a transition, right? 40 days and 40 nights, the flood, right? Jesus fasted 40 days, right? Transition. Continue. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, where they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey! Exclamation point. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Once again, 
that term. Why them? You're going to find out. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So all these peoples, right, have been infiltrated by these Anakites. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Probably didn't say it like that, but you get my drift. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored, even though they knew it was good, right? They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. Here we go. We saw the Nephilim there. They are the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Nephilim, giants, people, they came from somewhere. They didn't just appear. Here they are, right? And where do they go? Of all places in the world they could go, where do they go? The one place that the enemy knows God's going to send his people, the best land on planet Earth. Guess what? When you get there, here I am. Satan will change tactics, right? God is the deliverer, and through him we can be overcomers in all situations. Who knows that? One guy, Caleb. One guy, right? And so they don't go. And the people rebel, and they say, well, we're scared. You know, we're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, next chapter, Numbers 14. Verses 17 through 19. This is Moses pleading on behalf of the people. Yeah, they're scared. And Moses knows that's not going to be good for us. Here we go. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. Now may the Lord's strength. <laughs> right? The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving in sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punches the children, punishes the children from the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt till now. Okay? Here's the Lord's reply in the next verse. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. Just as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, Turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route of the Red Sea. In other words, you're not going to the promised land. You're going around them. So what do they do? They, they disobey anyway. No, no, no. We get it now. And they go, and they go into these lands, and what happens to them? They get beaten badly because you don't do it on your time. You do it on the Lord's time. Wait on the Lord. That's where you get that phrase. It's from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And it starts here, right? Be patient. Do things my way. Don't do it your own way because when you do, you're going to get burned. You're going to, there's going to be consequences from your own actions every time. All right? That's, that's the message that we get from here. So now they are wandering again, right? 
Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 2. These are the books of the law, by the way, the Torah, first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 2, verses 9 through 23. Wanderings in the desert. Then Moses said to me, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Here we go. The Emites used to live there, a people strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites, giants, okay? Like the Anakites, they too were considered Rephites. Now, you're, from here on out, you're going to see that term, Rephites. Do you know who was a Rephite? Goliath. He was one of the last of the Rephites, right? You know what Rephite means? Look it up. Giant. But the Moabites called them Emites. Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place just as Israel did, and the land the Lord gave them as their possession. And the Lord said, Now get up and cross the Zered Valley. So we crossed the valley. Thirty-eight years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. Usually you don't have time. It took 38 years. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. Now, when the last of these fighting men among the people had died, the Lord said to me, Today you are to pass by the region of Moab at Ar. When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. So he's telling them, listen to me, you have specific instructions. I'm telling you, don't attack these people. Verse 20. That, too, was considered a land of the Rephites, who used to live there. But the Amorites called them Zamzumites. Same people. Tall. Giants. Right? They were a people strong and numerous and tall as the Anakites. Now, if that's not true, then why does it say it over and over and over and over? Because there is a distinction between these people and the regular people. Right? Who follow these people because they are the leaders, right? I am going for time to skip a little bit. Uh, chapter 3, which is the, the very next chapter. So now we start to run across these leaders on the peripheral edges of where they're supposed to go. One of them is this guy, King Og of Bashan. Next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, was with his whole army, marched out to meet us in the battle of Endre. The Lord said to me, do not be afraid of him, for I have handed... Why would you be afraid of him? He's just an ordinary guy. Because the Lord knows every time, you know, you do this on your own and you run across these people, you turn tail and run. The Lord said to me, do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, which is what I just skipped. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan, all these cities were fortified with high walls, 
with gates and bars, and there were also a great many unwalled villages. We, had, we completely destroyed them as we had done with Sihon, <coughs> king of Heshbon, destroying every city. Here we go. Men, women, and children. That's your Bible, people, and that's what it says. Men, women, and children. I think I have an answer for that, but we'll continue. But all the livestock and plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves. They shouldn't have done that. They should not have done that. God said, wipe them out. Right? But they don't. So at that time, we took from these two kings of the Amorites, the territories east of Jordan, bumped down. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Salica and Andre towns of Og's kingdom and Bashan. Only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephites, giant. His bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and 6 feet wide, and it is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Now, how many leaders have you had their furniture described to you? Unless you're trying to make a point. The point is here, 13 feet, 6 feet wide. Why do you need a bed that big? Because you're going to fill it up, because King Og is a giant. God said, destroy them and all those who are influenced by them, right? And that is what they do. But they kept the livestock for themselves. They shouldn't have done that. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13. How did it get like this? And how did, you know, how can the evil come? It tells us right here. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. These ways that I'm about to say are detestable. Do not do them, right? Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, which is what was done then. They sacrificed their own children to the sun god. When, that's gone on up, in, up until, quote unquote, modern times of the Mayans and the Aztecs, right? They were... They, they were known for that. Their conditioner kicked on and I lost my place. But they were, not, they were not supposed to do this. Who practices divination or sorcery? Sorcery is uh, witchcraft using drugs to put yourself in an altered state of consciousness. That's the Greek pharmakia, pharmacy interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord, because if you do any of this stuff, you are not blameless. People, you ever watch the Travel Channel? It's become the spiritist and medium channel. It's nothing but ghosts and all this stuff. People are infatuated with that stuff. We used to have kids in our youth group when the mental hospital was up here in Bartonville. They'd go up there because they wanted to hear or see a ghost. And I would tell them, don't you dare go up there. I said, let me tell you why. Because if you're going looking for it, you may not find it, but it might find you. Where does it say that they can't follow you home? And then what? Because you've given them permission because you went hunting for them. And God says, don't do it. 
I've had kids in the youth group go, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I won't go up there. Good, you know, good, because you you're not supposed to do that. Divination, Ouija boards, all that stuff, tarot cards, everything, the witches, we're not supposed to do that. Go to the Halloween store and they'll have whole displays full of that stuff because it's all fun and games. It ain't no fun and games, people. You're just opening the door for them to come in. You invited them to be a part of your life and they will. That's all they're waiting for is an invitation. They can't just get us, right? We're protected as Christians. Do you know you have a mark if you're a Christian? The mark of the Holy Spirit, right? The enemy can't get in. He can still influence you. He can oppress you if you want, but he can't possess you, right? Fun fact, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18. So what do we do when we get to these places? However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Did you get that? Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. Them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, this is why you're doing this. They will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, little g, which is the sun, the moon, whatever. And you will sin against the Lord your God. Did it happen? You bet it did. How does it happen? How in the world do they, you know? But they keep being disobedient, right? Um, what draws them? You know, I would, I would think a lot of it is innocent, like in today's time, curiosity. What do we say about that? Curiosity kills the cat, right? Well, let's play with the Ouija board, it's fun, right? Read my fortune, it's fun. Let's go to the haunted house. It's fun. Fun, 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 fun. Well, it ain't no game to the enemy. He was just waiting for you to exercise a little of your fun, just like it was back then. And then he comes in. There was no Holy Spirit to protect us in the Old Testament, was there? He was evident, but he did not indwell believers, did he? That happened at Pentecost. These people should know better and they should be obedient. Why? Because God tells them there's a penalty for this and they know it and they do it anyway. Which to me is unbelievable, but they do. Which brings us to the granddaddy of them all, 1 Samuel 17:38. Without looking, anybody know that story? So keep flipping in your Bible. That is a story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38. How do I know the people are still being, uh, being disobedient? There's still giants alive, even up until the time of King David, right? So, um, looking around. if you know the story of, of King David, he was uh, a little boy among men, right? Everybody was scared of the big bad giant who would yell across the valley, send out your best, you're right? Everybody's chicken. If you come and I defeat your guy, we're gonna take over your land, we're gonna take over your people, but we're gonna give you ours if you beat me. Guess what, you ain't, right? Send your best man, come on over, right? Goliath was a giant. He was a descendant of the Rephites, as you're gonna find out. So he was big and bad, right? He's described as nine foot six, had armor that weighed 125 pounds and the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Imagine that bad boy going in you, <laughs> right? 
Huge, massive. Now, there's a teaching going on out there, which I find abhorrent. Uh, there's a line that says, Goliath brought his shield bearer. In other words, somebody to carry a shield. So we take that to the great lengths of, he was absolutely, absolutely feeble. And if you've ever seen a pituitary giant in the last years of his life, he's diseased and crippled. And that's why he had to have somebody to carry his. So David knew he could beat him, so that's why. Really? Really? God shows his mighty power in the weak by shaming the strong throughout this Bible. Right? So we're going to have a little boy fight a feeble, broken down, crippled, and we're going to rejoice in that is how great of a hero he was. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Because if that was the case, we'd have stormed over and got him. Right? We being the Israelites. We'd have got him. Didn't happen that way. 1 Samuel 17 uh, let's go down to verse 38. Saul is with David, and now he's gotten the go-ahead. David's convinced him that I'm your guy. Nobody else is doing it. They're chicken. What do you got to lose? He'll come up, put a spear in me, and we're done. Right? That's not what he said, but that's what Saul's thinking. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of arm on him and a bronze helmet on his head, and David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and he took a staff in his hand, and he chose, hear me, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. He walked straight towards the giant, and he's got five rocks in a little pouch. Right? Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer, here we go, in front of him, kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands what guts he has, right? David knows he's not alone, right? It's the Lord who is with him. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He did not run away. He didn't move to the side. He ran straight towards the giant. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Down goes the giant with one rock, right? Why do you need five stones? I don't know. You're going to know. Because the Bible tells us exactly why he needed five stones. First Chronicles. So keep flipping ahead in your Bible. First Chronicles chapter 20 tells us. Verse 4. Notice what it says. War with the Philistines. Okay. Chronicles is a retelling. So you're going to find a lot of these stories retold in Chronicles that you're going to hear in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Okay? 
In the course of time, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Sippai, one of the descendants of the Rephites, and the Philistines were subjugated. Another giant, right? In another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jer, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite. Lami, brother of Goliath the Gittite, who's another Goliath, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Sound familiar? Just like the Goliath that David went up against. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, interesting, Goliath's hometown, that's where they're all from, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was also descended from Rapha, giants. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shemia, David's brother, killed him. These were the descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Goliath, Sippai, Lami, Goliath the Gittite, and the unnamed giant with a bunch of teeth. Five giants, five stones. David planned to get them all. Pretty stinking awesome. One rock at a time. He knew he didn't need any more. Right? So they, they were here. Um, I noticed something that I didn't really realize before in studying for this. That last line where it says, these were the descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. What's the next line say? Immediately. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. You know what I take that as? Hmm, that didn't work out like I planned. Let's try something else. Satan never stops. He will be on you like a fly-on flypaper, believer or not. That's the way it is. If he can't scam you one way, he'll scam you another way. That's why he tells us, be in the word daily so I can speak to you through my word. Do not forsake the fellowship of believers. Why? Because as a wise man, Charlie Barr, who sat right back there every week, used to say, because if we don't do these things, we forget. Hello? That's exactly what the Bible says we do. That's why we're called sheep. We're stupid. We have to have a shepherd. He could have called us mighty lions, but he didn't. We're a sheeper. We're sheeps. And each like sheep have gone astray. Each one goes to his own way because that's what sheep will do and that's what we'll do. If we walk away from this book, we walk away from his word and pay not attention uh, at all to the gospel. Can it happen to any one of us? You bet it can. It can happen to pastors. It can happen to any one of you. How do we know? Because the, the greatest of them all, David, who was a man after God's own heart, immediately took a census. Now, why is that a big deal? You ever wonder that? Why is it a big deal that David did this and God doesn't like it? Why? Because of this. Look, the Philistines were a mighty army, right? And you're going to continue to battle them. The descendants of the Rephites are among them, right? We know they're tough. We know they're rough. Didn't you defeat them? And what was your weapon? A rock and a sling. And now you're going to take a census because you don't think you have enough? Oh, David got full of himself, and he's starting to worry about himself. I need to know what's surrounding me. God says no. They pay a price for that if you'll read the story. Which do you want? Disease, death? Name your poison because it's coming. 
because David knows better, right? So I found a verse in the Bible because I am fascinated with the fact that how does this happen? And you know, you, you would think that the Bible would just give rock solid, and it doesn't. It does, but it doesn't. How does it happen that we go from absolute obedience and God sees us in abundance to following the enemy and doing the very things that God says don't do or you're going to get horribly punished, and we do them anyway. What happens? I found the perfect verse. It's Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets, so you're going to flip for that. Or you can just listen here. Verses 13, 6. And it's entitled appropriately, The Lord's Anger Against Israel. When I fed them, they were satisfied. Right? I, the Lord. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. Right? I fed you, I provided all that you needed. You became satisfied, you became proud, and you forgot me. You started to revel in all the things that I provided for you and you didn't think of me. That's the danger in the church today. That's what's wrong with the church today. I'm all that. Watch these hokey TV preachers. You can be the best you. The Bible says it ain't about you. It's about what you can do for your fellow man, right? That's how we worship, how we serve others. We've got it backwards, and it's killing us, and it's killing our country, and we're going south rapidly, and that's how it's happened. And that little verse, that's exactly what has happened, right? So what happened to these angels that started this mess in the first place? Where are they? Do you know the Bible tells you that? Jude 5-7. Turn back to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Jude is right before it. It's only one chapter in Jude. First, second, third, John, Jude, Revelation. Jude uh, 5 through 7. Though you already know this, and who's he writing to? Now, this is written from by Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, right? Half brother of Jesus. Right? To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. That's all of us today. All the, the church then, the church today. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. In other words, an encouragement from you because you're being persecuted. God saved those people out of Egypt and they got what was coming to them. Okay? And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. It gets more specific later on. In a similar way, speaking of this verse, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. You ever see that before? They serve as an example for those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. All right. That's where they are. Turn back, flip back a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 110. You get further description. 
uh, the start of the, the letter goes like this. Simon Peter, servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. That's the church then, that's the church now. Okay? But verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Amen, brother, preach it. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. We become proud, we forget. Bringing swift destruction on themselves. Again, Old Testament, New Testament. Like the way it's going now, people? Like the way your country's going right now? This is New Testament right here. Well, if you don't, then it's up to us as the church to do something about it and not just say ho-hum. Why? Because you've got relatives that aren't believers, and I do too. And I do not want them to perish for eternity. And you shouldn't either as a minister of the gospel. Just saying. Good. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. It's happening. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they made up. It's happening. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God says, if you do this, I will do this. If you are obedient, I will provide. If you go against me, this is going to happen, and you're not going to like it. But you brought it on yourself. Old Testament, New Testament. Verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, angels should never be married or given in marriage, but sent them to hell. Now, in my Bible, probably in yours, but in mine, it's got the little footnote at the bottom that says, or Tartarus. Tartarus, to give, paint a picture, is the basement of hell. It's a dungeon used for one purpose, and that is to imprison those angels who left their positions of authority. We know what that was now, and they are there to this day. Nobody else is in Tartarus but them, okay? So they get special punishment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented and his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, which was horrible. He was living on hell and on earth. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and I'm going to add this line because this is what it means. At the same time, hold the righteous, the unrighteous, for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. What has that got to do with today? People... The church, in one sense, is facing a giant, right? At the same time, Satan works in all kind of ways. And if he can get you to, 
turn your attention here while the real problem's here, he got you. And that's what happens to every single one of us every single day. Satan dangles the little bait, hoping you will look and take your eyes off the prize, which is leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is our job as ministers. You know what's very, very encouraging to me? That there are people who still care. How do I know? You're here right now. You are here. And I also see at the same time more empty chairs than full ones. That's the reality, right? We try. We keep trying. As we face giants today, which we do. Need an example of that? We've got just a short time. I'll tell you, this is how you slay a giant. In our youth group and adults, counsel many people, right? I counsel from the word of God. I am not a trained counselor, right? I just let the Bible do its thing, right? And I know how to share the gospel. I know how to read people. And I know how to talk to people. You do too. You do too. You can tell when somebody's being bothered by somebody. If I can do it, you can, right? It's having the courage to take the next step, right? Imagine this one. You've got a kid. Am I feeding back a little bit because where I'm sitting? I can move back. Because I'm hearing that little I don't want to be bothering anybody. Um, a dilemma. I want to tell you certain stories, but these are these people's stories are not mine. I don't have permission to tell their story. It's their story to tell. So I'm not going to do that. So what I'm going to do is take a conglomeration of incidents and put them in one story. So some of it happened with the person, some of it didn't, right? So I'm telling you ahead of time, this didn't happen, but it happened. <laughs> Follow me? Okay. So I'm not going to name a name, because if I do, it'll be obvious to somebody that might be, you might know, or small world. Um, a girl in the youth group who is uh, a bubbly, nice person, life of the party kind, all of a sudden stops talking. Hmm, something up. I mean, that's kind of the way she goes from now on. Very, turns very quiet, very serious. Starts gaining weight hand over fist. Not taking care of herself. Not being clean. Not being with the other kids, being a loner. But coming to youth group, oddly, coming to youth group, right? What do you do? How do you bring that one up? Now she's been coming for a year or so. Uh, I've earned the right. You be their friend. Discipleship is relationships, okay? You gotta be a part of their life to earn the right to be heard. The missionaries will tell you that when they go over to wherever they go, you know? Uh, it's the same way here. People are people, right? So I pull up beside her and say, yeah, okay. You get the same every time. Oh, I'm fine. Really? So I'm getting kind of the feeling that you're not. And I said, here's why. And I said, I only say this because I love you and I care about you. We were like this, right? Right? <laughs> I need a smile before I, that's why I do stuff like that. Right? Yeah. Okay. 
said, no, so you can't, you're, you've changed some. Man, you used to be outgoing and all that, and now you're, you're not. Not mention the other obvious things. You know, how do you tell? Oh, you're gaining weight. I'm not going to say that. You're not taking care of yourself. So I'm concerned about your health, too. And I said, I only ask because I love you. And if you say, hey, look, it's none of your business, we're done. I said, but know this. You know, we're still like that. Doesn't matter who it'll be. Okay? So I'm asking. <laughs> What's wrong? Nothing. Okay. Hey, youth group next week's going to be good. Start walk away. Craig, I knew it, right? Okay. I said, well, before you begin, know this. If you tell me you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt somebody else, I am a mandated reporter. Can't do that. And I said, uh, also, what is said here stays here. My disclaimer at the beginning, which I tell every kid, it's not gonna go any farther than this if you want. And I said, uh, but I am a good listener, even though I don't have all the answers. Good with that? Okay, the beginning of every story, the, the, every story starts with the beginning. Once upon a time, I, you go. She don't talk. They cry for a long time. And you want to, but you can't. Because if you cry, they've hurt you too. They don't want to do that. So you gotta be strong. I have sat and sat and sat because I will not continue until they're done. You know what this is? Passing Kleenex over and over and over. Here's what you don't ever say to them. You okay? Never say. They're not okay. What's the stupidest thing I could say right now? You okay? You're not okay. Just shut up. Be quiet. When they're ready, they'll tell you. There's a term we use for that. Uh, Shane and I, whenever we'd see a kid in trouble, we'd suspect something. I said, dude, there's a thorn. The little thorn's working its way to the surface. Someday it's going to come out, and when it does, we need to be there. Right? Uh, when Beth took over, when I left the youth group for a while, and uh, Beth Lusk was in there, and I said, let me give you a piece of advice. You're going to have kids here that are into witchcraft. They're going to be into all kinds of stuff. They're not going to think the way we think. They're going to be totally unchurched and everything. And I said, now we're in charge of protecting all the other kids that are here. And she goes, yeah, how do we do that? I said, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to love them anyway. And that's what we do. Okay, I'm ready. Well, something happened to me about a year ago. And it was nothing. It was nothing. It was just like a family member did some appropriate, inappropriate things and talked some inappropriate things and it really shook me up. I said, so you didn't get hurt or anything? She goes, no, no. 
She goes, but when I was little, I sure did. Tears. Shut up. You okay? Don't say that. You say that, they'll cut you right off. How did it happen? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't even know it was wrong. I, I didn't know. I kept it for myself a long time. For a long time, I didn't know. Then I went to school, and they started talking about stuff like that. And I said, how old were you then? She goes, about third or fourth grade. I said, how old was it when it happened? She goes, pre-K. She goes, but that's when I knew I was bad. A little kid mind. I was bad. And so, I just tried to ignore it like it didn't happen. And I said, and that's why you're outgoing and you're the life of the party. Yeah. I said, slick. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you do this in your power or in the Lord's power? I said, do you know Jesus? I know you know about Jesus. <laughs> right? We talk about Jesus all the time here. You've probably heard the gospel many times, right? Have you ever applied that to your life? No. No. Why? Because I, I'm bad. I'm the person you, that you want to stay away from. Youthful thinking. They're not mature, right? I said, I could just look at you right now and tell you you're wrong. I said, let me demonstrate something to you. I said, uh, okay, so that happened then. What has changed? She said, well, it was that what happened a year ago brought it all back to me. I said, so why are you punishing yourself? Why didn't you ask for help? She goes, nobody can help me. And she goes, so I gained all this weight and I quit taking care of myself because I figure if I look like this, nobody will ever want me and nobody will ever touch me. They're not so crazy, right? She's living her life in absolute fear of what has happened and what could happen again if I don't protect myself. Misguided thinking, right? Did you ever give Jesus a chance? Well, no, and here's why. Because if I did, and here we go, it didn't work, what do I do then? In other words, she's telling me, this works, leave me alone. <laughs> this works for me, right? I smell, nobody's gonna want me. That's what she's saying. So if you listen beyond the words, this works. Same with kids who are cutters. We had, man, at one time, two-thirds of the girls in our youth group, right, cut themselves regularly. I saw one case that was just horrific. And I said, well, what are we talking about here? And they showed me, and it was like, oh, horrific right here. They used to hand me after our little talks, hand me their little weapons of choice where they would 
impact themselves. Why do they do it? They trade pain for pain. Something happened for me, I do this, I forget all about what's in my head. Why do you do it? It works. <laughs> Crazy as it sounds, it works for them. And that was running rampant. It was the fad, it was the in thing to do. And they were all doing it, right? I said, well, I said, really at this point, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? I said, I, you know, you're not talking to somebody who's not gone through things in their life. I said, because I have. Did it always just turn around like that? No. I said, but I tell you what, somehow, some kind of way, the Lord delivers us through it. You know, the Bible says that we can all be overcomers. And I said, you can be an overcomer too, but you've got to surrender your life to him and you can't do it your way. Your way leads to death and destruction. I said, you keep going like this, you're just going to wither away and die. Without Jesus, that's a horrible end. I said, but with him, you can overcome these things. And you know what? You're not alone. You got a church, you got lots of friends who will help you. I said, you know that. Yeah. I said, I know you know the gospel. I said, I know you know the score, why Jesus came. She goes, I know you know all that. She goes, I do. I said, but there's one I don't think you've considered, and it's this one. It's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you are saved, unearned favor. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. This is a gift of God, right? So God holds out the gift of salvation, and with it, we can be overcomers, right? And we'll help you do that, right? We'll help you grow in the Lord. We'll be your friend. We'll do whatever we can to help you, right? You know that. I said, but it's a free gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God, not by works. This is not of yourselves. You can't earn it, and you can't ignore it. I think that's what you're doing now, aren't you? Well, the gift is here. Think about it. But it's here right now. Would you like to ask Jesus into your heart and be done with this mess? Tears. I would. Down goes the giant. And that's how you do it. What is this person like today? Not like that. <laughs> Not like that. Are they perfect? No, who is? She ain't that anymore, right? And she does know Jesus and it changed her life. She is a conglomeration of lots of kids, right? And adults. Do you notice something in these stories? David didn't say, hey guys, let's go to the giant. Caleb didn't, he said it, but let's go. Caleb runs and ain't nobody behind him, <laughs> right? <laughs> nobody. We have to face the giant on our own, but only with the strength the Lord provides. We can't put the cart before the horse, right? Because that's what happens, right? But with him, all things are possible, aren't they? They are, right? Our time is done here. So think about these things. You got a history lesson, right? And you got a lesson for today. 
the giants were a lot different, or are they? Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for these people. Let them go for here in the grace of God and help them to do their very best through your power to be the ministers that you've always wanted them to be. Bless them and keep them. Keep those who we love uh, and who we long for to meet Jesus. Keep them safe from the enemy who seeks to kill and destroy and to blind them from the truth and give us opportunities or others send people across their paths while there's still time. And we pray these things in the amazing name of Jesus, our great Lord and protector. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for